I think I'm going to need my umbrella on this walk. Let's open it because I've seen on the the radar that there is a massive rain area that is moving very slowly over the country right now. And I think it only stops raining at around 8 o'clock in the evening. But it's now lunchtime, or I just had lunch. So it's going to be raining for a couple more hours. It's not, it's not much rain, but it's enough to get wet, especially if you're uh, walking for an hour. It's good to talk again. We're in the second week of Lent. And this morning I just had an interview uh, with uh, a journalist of a Christian newspaper here in the Netherlands about my, my new book, um, Lent for Little Folk. Little Folk being one of the titles for certain hobbits that live in and around the Shire. Get the Little Folk. I think you've got the Big Folk as well. Anyway, the term was just a way to incorporate something that sounded hobbity but wasn't copyrighted or trademarked. You have to be very careful when you use um, other people's trademarks. And then, of course, the Tolkien estate is rightfully very careful um, with uh, what it allows and what it doesn't allow. So it's a book that is inspired by Tolkien's work, but it's uh, absolutely not well, it doesn't want to infringe on anything. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so the newspaper called me, or actually I got a, a message. Oh, it's cold. Go to the right here. Got a message from a, a freelance journalist on Friday, I think. And uh, she wanted to, um, to interview me today. I'm recording this on Monday about the book. She was also a Tolkien fan and a bit of a hobbit as well. And she noticed a post um, that I put up on LinkedIn about the book, announcing the book. Now, I don't have many followers on LinkedIn, around 300 or something like that, and which is absolutely nothing compared to all the other social networks. And, and it's simply because LinkedIn is a social network that is for professionals that are looking for work or want to offer their services. And since I've had a job since my ordination as a priest and I've never been without work, I never felt the need um, to be active on, on LinkedIn. And it's also a much more of a business environment, which I, is, is obviously very useful, but it wasn't my primary focus as a content producer. I'm focused on telling stories and explaining things and entertainment, education, spirituality, um, none of which is, is um, something that you often encounter on LinkedIn. At least that's not the primary target of the network. But anyway, the reason that I've become more active on LinkedIn is, of course, because of my coaching activities. And I want to <clears throat> see if I can build up a network of other communication professionals um, and maybe also pastors and uh, religious organizations, parishes, dioceses, um, and see if this is a way to expand my horizon in that area, but also to 
um, indicate to um, people that could benefit from my from my coaching and from what I have to offer them um, that they know that I exist and that they have a, a little bit of an inkling as to what I do and so one of the one of the posts that I put up recently was about the book and she had seen that and so this this uh, morning we had about 45 minutes <clears throat> where we talked about the book and she was so surprised when I told her that I wrote the book in one week and that initially the original plan was as I mentioned last week was to write it in uh, over the weekend which I did actually the text was almost entirely written um, in the span of one weekend I think I started writing on Friday and I was done on Sunday evening and then I um, uh, I, I imagined uh, packaging it so creating the ebook um, in about one or two days, so I could launch, I could um, publish the book on Wednesday. That was, that felt to me like a good moment, still within the first week of Lent. Um, but I underestimated how um, tricky it was to actually create those ebook versions when you have the text and the illustrations, which I had. You still have to format it. And I was using Apple Pages, which is a free desktop publishing program that comes with any Mac. And it's also on the iPad. And I use it all the time. I use it to write scripts for my videos. I use it to write my Diary of a Media Priest newsletter. And so um, it became my go-to. I don't have Word or, or Open Office or stuff like that. Uh, I just like Pages. It's a simple program. It's uh, available on all my Apple um, devices. So it was the, the kind of the the logical thing to use that to f- format the the book. And, and the first version looked really nice. Every page was an image, and uh, underneath a text, a, a bit of a meditation. Um, And I had 40 pages in total. But once I created an EPUB uh, version of that, and later on also a Kindle version, and I put them on my Kindle to test read it and to see what what it would look like, it was terrible. It It really looked horrible. Everything was out of place and... Uh, the margins were all wrong. Actually, on the Kindle, there weren't even any margins, which made it very difficult to read. And that's how I discovered that actually, one b- ebook is not uh, the other. E- how do you say that? <laughs> like every ebook is different, and for the uh, for the Kindle, for instance, you have to create a version where you only have very limited options when it comes to the overall look of the page. Which is difficult because this was an illustrated book and the illustrations are quite important to set the tone. Uh, But you cannot really influence the the fonts and the position of the text uh, in, in conjunction with the images. So I had to go back to the drawing table and re reformat the entire thing in Word. Uh, well, actually, I, I used a Word um, 
format, but I used um, Google, was it Google Pages? Anyway, the free Google uh, word processing um, software. And I had to undo all the layout layout choices that I made in Pages. And then based on that, I noticed that it was it was not feasible to create an ebook for the Kindle that would have just one page per per day. I've got 40 to 40 days of Lent. Every day is a moment from the Lord of the Rings plus a short text. And so I I re I rethought, I kind of revised my original idea and and I decided to turn it into two pages per day so that all of a sudden the book went from 40 pages to 80 pages and but then I didn't have enough text on the other side wait a minute my Apple watch is telling me you're probably walking I am and now it's measuring good so um, it became a little bit thin so one I love the fact that you would see first you would see the, the, the title and the image, and um, I'm, I'm very happy uh, how the uh, the images turned out. I used, as I explained in the book, Dolly, uh, which is um, an artificial image generator, or based on artificial intelligence, uh, which comes free with Microsoft Copilot, and I decided to use um, a black and white pen drawing style, a bit of an old-fashioned style that kind of matches the timelessness of the story. And and those images are really atmospheric. Of course, they don't... Uh, it's, it's not a, a reproduction of the look of the movies. It, it's more like inspired by. Sometimes you get very weird results, like all the hobbits have long beards, and it confuses sometimes wizards and hobbits. Elves look sometimes crazy. Um, so it was a lot of fiddling and, and, and trial and error. But the final result is nice. So you have that first you have that picture that kind of plunges you into the world of Middle-earth. And then on the other side, I didn't have enough text to fill an entire page. So what I did was I uh, went looking for quotes by J.R.R. Tolkien about the theme of that particular day. And so I either chose certain passages from the Lord of the Rings or from the letters. And I also used, again, AI to give me ideas on, on what those quotes could be. And sometimes you get usable results and other times you're like, yeah, sure, that, that had nothing to do with what I asked you to look for. So in the end, for about half of the pages, I had to do to go and read stuff myself. I have the collected letters of of Tolkien. I have the uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, of course. And so I diagonally read uh, a lot of the Lord of the Rings again, which was, in fact, a a very, was a very cool experience. And and, and I always love to have a specific reason to reread the Lord of the Rings. And it was so much that I had forgotten. And I think it's because the movies have imprinted their version of the story so much that you tend to forget that the books are actually a lot richer 
and uh, full of details that were omitted in the movies because it's just a different genre, it's a different medium, different way of telling the story. So it was wonderful, but also time-consuming. In the end, it took me the rest of last week to reformat and partially rewrite the book. So it uh, ended up coming out on Friday. So Friday I wrote uh, an article and uh, posted it on social media and also on the email newsletter. We also, in the meantime, parallel to this process, uh, were migrating the contact database from Patreon to um, our new Kajabi website because uh, we are simplifying the process of, of getting in touch with our followers. And it's, it's extremely complicated to have a, um, multiple websites for, uh, for what we are doing. And Kajabi enables us to put everything together in one system, including the new coaching stuff and the, uh, the marketing, etc. So once we had all the contacts merged and tagged, because of course we also needed to bring some information over from Patreon to Kajabi, because uh, I have twice as many followers on Patreon um, than the actual um, financial supporters. So we, about half of the community is, uh, is part of the free Patreon community. So we needed to also bring that information into Kajabi. And then finally, I had to write uh, the article and the email in two languages, in Dutch, because I have a couple of hundred Dutch followers, and I think that number is going to increase quite a bit over the next couple of months. Uh, this article in the new Dutch newspaper will obviously also bring in some new subscribers. And another thing that I didn't realize, I had to create landing pages for the download of the book, because I want to give the book away for free. But <laughs> it's also for me a way to get the uh, new subscribers to the Diary of a Media Priest, which enables me to stay in touch with people that have downloaded the book. Um, my work is all about creating long-lasting relationships and uh, having people subscribe to my email newsletter is one of the ways in which it enables me to get in touch with them uh, over a, a longer period of time, unless, of course, they unsubscribe, but that's up to them. And I had already meddled a little bit with uh, the setting up a form page for the Diary of Media Priest, but I barely talked about it on the podcast. And I realized that, well, wait a minute, the book, the launch of the book is for many of my followers the first time that they even realized that, I, um, that I've changed my... Uh, my approach to the newsletter and everything. So setting up those download pages was also, I mean, I love doing this. And it's fun to create like a mock-up version of the cover of the book and, um, and to look at examples of how can you make that work, not just technically, but what is a good text to get people interested in the book. And so for me, this is all... A wonderful learning experience and at the same time it's also challenging because I'm doing everything for the first time so I don't have a routine 
it takes more time probably than in the future when I will, I'm already thinking about doing a, a follow-up book for the time of Easter, between Easter and Pentecost. We've got 50 days, and that's even less explore territory for, um, for, for a guide like this. So, I don't know. If you have any ideas, some people, one, at least one person reacted, oh, it would be wonderful to have a Harry Potter-themed book like this. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that because of the controversial nature right now of the whole Harry Potter franchise. But there is Star Wars. There's Star Trek. There is... Um, oh, what else was I thinking about? There were... There's some more stories that I might be able to explore. Anyway, if you have any, like, light bulb moments um, that I could... Uh, that could benefit my, my creative process, feel free to let me know. Anyway, a long story short, what has this to do with this episode of The Walk? Um, well, there's one question that the journalist asked me, uh, because she had read the book, uh, that I thought it would be interesting to also discuss here during The Walk. She said, so I explained why I wrote the guide, and my main motivation was that, and we talked about this here on the walk, that Lent is not always, for me, is not always a, a, a time of the year that I look forward to. And this has to do with <clears throat> the fact that it takes place in one of the most somber mom- uh, periods of the year. Like the, right now, I'm walking outside, I'm in the woods, which is wonderful, but it's cold. It really gets, I think it's six degrees Celsius. Um, so I've got my winter coat on, my, I'm wearing my gloves, it's raining, it's windy, and nature, yeah, it starts to get ready for spring, but here in the woods it's mostly mud and it's all gray and there are no leaves on the trees. Um, and we come off this high of, uh, of Christmas and New Year's Eve, and then you have that very long period of waiting for springtime and before I can leave the house without a coat that's still a few months away and what I never really liked was that um, you don't have time to switch mentally so you get into into Lent especially this year um, Easter is very early in the year so so Lent started so quickly after and and Lent is a time of of penance, uh, you de- you deprive yourself from food. You're supposed to you do all sorts of things that you know I don't always associate with fun. And uh, now I know that faith is not just about fun, but it was never a time that I looked forward to. So, and this is also probably because of the way in which I grew, uh, I I was formed myself. Uh, Lent was mostly pitched as a time of penance and deprivation. But I didn't really get, and this is true in my youth, but also in seminary. It was a time where, uh, for instance, we would eat, at one time at the seminary we went vegetarian for an entire 40 days. But our cook was not that 
creative. So it was basically really not un unsavory food for 40 days. Um, we would have these silent evenings, so we wouldn't speak during uh, dinner. Instead, someone would read a book. It's usually very boring theological books. Ugh. <laughs> really not. I mean, had we read The Lord of the Rings, then maybe I would have had a totally different... Uh, how do you say that? Uh, I would, the, emotionally, the time of Lent would have felt very differently, but it was usually just church fathers or, I don't know. Just, but I'm not an... <laughs> I don't... I, I like theology. It's just that when you've studied for an entire day at the university, you've been in, in class, you've done your homework, prepared for exams, and then in the evening, they, they still want you to focus on theology and all sorts of abstract literature. So I never had a very positive, motivating experience of Lent. This is why I wrote the book. I wanted to write something that would change our mindset when it comes to Lent and see it as a time of growth. And this is a time that is not necessarily for God. We, we say it, we, we formulate it like that. What are you giving up for Lent? Which kind of implies that Lent is all about sacrifice and you're giving it up for God, right? And, but in the end, liturgy and our entire rhythm of the liturgical year, that is, God doesn't need that. We need that. So we are not made for the rules. The rules are made for us to help us doesn't mean that the rules are not important uh, and and that they're not allowed to to push us out of our comfort zone quite to the contrary but the focus is on our growth and so that's how i approached a book i was like what, what if lent is like frodo and bilbo's journey what if it, it part of penance side of it is also to help us do things that we normally shun, that we don't like to do, but that's where the growth comes from. It's when you give up something, when you sacrifice yourself, when you're uncomfortable, that is, first of all, you realize how, how comfortable you normally are, so you appreciate the things that you now step away from, and it also um, forces you to to approach things in a, in a new way, and that's how you learn. <clears throat> so, uh, anyway, this is this is I think why the journey of Frodo and Bilbo is so um, relatable. Both these hobbits are very comfortable in the Shire. They have a really wonderful life. I mean, I've been to the Matamata movie set, and the the two times that I w was there, I had this very strong feeling that I would love to live there forever. You know, this would be, if I picture heaven, I'm not thinking of clouds. I'm thinking of the Shire. <laughs> because it's such a wonderful world. But had these hobbits not left the comfort of the Shire, uh, they would have never grown so much. And it is, it's the challenges that make the journey so worthwhile in the end. It's not always a lot of fun when you're in the middle of a, being pursued by orcs 
or Uruguay or you're being held captive uh, and, and deprived of, from food. I did a search <laughs> for the word hunger in the Lord of the Rings and I was stunned to see how often the hobbits are complaining about being hungry. And, and the hobbits and the dwarves, they both really dislike being hungry. But, so, but apparently that is part of the, of the adventure. And in the end, uh, it, it, it teaches the hobbits and the dwarves that sometimes it's worth giving up something for a greater goal, for something that is more important than food. Uh, so every, um, for every page of the book, I was trying to find uh, a, a translation of the values of Lent and the values that Tolkien incorporated in his story and our own personal life. How do we implement this? Can we, where, where can we, what are the areas in which we can grow? And, it, and there's, by writing this, and because I wanted the book to be interesting and diverse and varied, it forced me to also look at Lent with different eyes and to come up with all sorts of creative ways in which um, uh, I could propose changes, choices, different behavior, um, so that the people that would be reading the book and hopefully also implementing it uh, would, would be able to grow in many dimensions. But, long, long introduction uh, for what I actually wanted to address, the journalist asked me, well, but isn't there a tension between what you describe about Lent, where it's all about your personal growth, it's all about you, and the Christian perspective of Lent, where it's not supposed to be about you, it's supposed to be about God, it's supposed to be about Jesus. I don't hear that in what you say. And I think that was a very good point. And immediately my reply was, well, it's both end. That's a very Catholic approach, I think, to almost everything. It's not that one thing excludes the other. Both dimensions are important. And... I continue to explain that this is also true for the way Tolkien writes. Tolkien's work is is full of Christian inspiration, Christian values. But it's it's a second layer. It's there. But the story is not about the hobbits going to church every Sunday. <laughs> it's, um, in fact, the you could say the the deeper themes the christian themes that are part of of the stories of tolkien become visible in the very mundane events in the very re- relatable uh moments in the hobbit the suffering of frodo uh is is conveyed in the story of the ring that weighs on him, that uh, robs him from his strength and his energy, makes him despair, which, of course, has a much deeper meaning. Hello. It's also, uh, this is what sin does to us. Sin drains our energy, makes us focus on everything that's, that's that's 
temporary and a replacement for the ultimate good that we're actually looking for. And it weighs us down and sometimes we need other people to to help deliver us from that. And it takes time. It is a journey. Um, and uh, the the theme of uh, of friendship, I think, is central to to every story that Tolkien writes. You cannot understand the plight of, of Frodo without um, positioning, it, positioning it in a tale about the strength, the redemptive strength of friendship. Frodo carries the ring for Middle-earth, for everyone else, just like Jesus carries the cross, not as a... Uh, it's not a story of bad luck, not just a story of oh oh my gosh Jesus is so um, is treated so badly and you feel compassion for him but it's much more than that it is a cross that he willingly takes on himself he doesn't run away in fact he tells the the soldiers that if he had been just a um, an earthly ruler or someone who wanted to take power politically he would have an army that would protect him. But that's not the way he is a king. His kingship is in unconditional love for his people. That goes to the point of wanting to carry any suffering, any cross that his people are are struggling with and take it on his shoulders and carry it for him. That so the the the, the core of Lent and uh, the and Holy Week is how far friendship will go. And I explained that this is exactly why I think the story of Frodo is so incredibly inspiring and so um, deeply, deeply Christian. Because Frodo carries the weight of the ring uh, for, for, for all Middle-earth. It almost kills him. And then you have Sam, who walks by his side, who is his best friend, and who is also willing to die to help Frodo reach his goal of destroying the ring. And at one point when Frodo is, like Jesus uh, on the way of the cross, falling time and again on the slope of Mount Doom, and he has no strength left to make it to the end, Sam steps forward and says, hey, Frodo, I, I promised you that I would carry you if necessary. Well, I, I won't be able to carry the, the ring. They tried, but the, it was impossible for Sam to take that burden. But I can carry you and the ring with it. And, and for me, that is not just uh, reminding me of, of Simon of uh, Cyrene, who is picked by the soldiers to help Jesus carry the cross. But it's much more than that. It is... A symbol, I think, of God who who walks with us. And whenever our cross is crushing us and is making our life unbearable, He is there to carry us. And He will carry us and He will carry our cross and everything. And He will make sure that that we make it. So, I don't think you can separate the... The, the, these two aspects of Lent, as if there is one Lent for the very pious people who do all sorts of religious exercises and it's all about their relationship with God, 
and Jesus, and then the people who use Lent as a pretext to just do self-development. You see, sometimes that same dichotomy in the way sometimes people judge others when it comes to their approach to Lent. Like, oh yeah, some people consider fasting as just a way to lose weight and to live a healthier life, but it's not about that. And I'm thinking, well, why not? It's both end. Lent proposes you to kind of take a take a, a good look at what you eat and how you consume things. And that will ultimately not just benefit your spiritual life, it will also benefit your health. And why not? Why? I think it's actually fantastic that the, the choices that we make on a spiritual level can have even like a physical dimension and a, and a physical result on how we feel and how we... It's like if I give up social media for Lent, I say, okay, after, for Lent, after dinner, I won't browse on my phone. That is a heroic sacrifice for most of us. But it will also benefit your sleep because you don't have that blue light shining in your eyes and you will actually start to sleep well and feel good. Is that something too... Is that too human? Is that too self-centered? I don't think so. This is ultimately, um, theologically, the question of our transcendence and immanence, uh, are they incompatible? And what do I mean by that? This the the age-old question. Is God inside of all of us? Is the divine inside of us? Or is God what transcends us? Is it the opposite of what we are? When we say God is the creator, we say God is transcendent. He is not part of creation. He became part of creation because his son became one of us and entered our, our created world. But he still remains fully God and he's fully human. So in Jesus himself, you see that immanence and transcendence are joining, are, are part of the same reality, are part of the same person. Um, whereas we are oftentimes, we think that we have to choose between one and the other. And so we, we look down on people. I've, I've done that. I've done that. I've looked down on people who were talking about spirituality as basically a... a a means of self-realization or you would have this trend in the 70s where a lot of the songs that were composed for liturgy were uh, about God in in us, you know, so it's all about God in your neighbor, but then what's left for, for the transcendent God? It, it is almost as if it doesn't even matter if God exists or not. It's mostly what we find in one another. And, in, and the worst was if you try to find God in yourself. That is so selfish. That is such a contortion, such a deformation of what faith is all about. Blah, blah, blah. And now, a little bit older, hopefully a little bit wiser, I'm thinking, well, no. It's just, it's the same problem. If you... If you uh, What's the word? If you reduce faith to just something inside our mind, something that is ultimately a very human uh, endeavor, then you're robbing faith of its transcendent 
dimension, which is essential for for faith. If if God does not exist and it's just a fairy tale that we tell our, each other just to feel good, yeah, what value does that have? What value does that truly have? On the other hand, the opposite is very um, restrictive as well. If you say that, well, but no, faith should all be about prayer, should all be about spirituality, it's all about liturgy, it's all about the sacraments. That's all true, but you cannot reduce faith and religion to that aspect. If it doesn't have a translation for our day-to-day life, for how we treat one another, how we, the choices we make in our day-to-day life, this is why I think there shouldn't be an opposition between, uh, for instance, faith and liturgy and taking care of creation and, and uh, making sure that, that we hand over this earth to the next generations without destroying it. For some people, this is blasphemy. This is, oh, church becomes political and religion shouldn't be about climate change and, and, and it's, it's looked down upon. And I'm thinking, no, it's part of the, the, both of the dimensions of faith. Faith has to do with what is beyond this world, but God became one of us because he wanted to his love to reach every single nook and cranny of our physical created world. He wanted us to know that he is not just a God above us and beyond our, our event horizon, but that he is a, a God that is inside of each of us. And, and Jesus himself keeps repeating it. You know, who receives you receives me. Who treats one of these children. Uh, if, if, if you give one of these little ones just a glass of water, you did that for me. If you visit prisoners, if you take care of the sick and the lonely, you do that for me. And the opposite is true as well. If you didn't, if you forgot about that, you become one of those Pharisees that is only uh, showing how religious they are and how devout they are. But if they don't do anything for the poor, if they don't care for, uh, for the people around them, then it's worth nothing. You have not understood a single thing of what Jesus wanted to teach. And reminds people off because this is not just something that Jesus said. This is the whole Bible is full of stories like this, where God is trying to enter in in our hearts, while all at the same time remaining someone who is you can't be reduced to just the human aspect. And this is the, this is why the God of Israel is so different from the surrounding um, religions and, and and ways in which people looked at at gods, where gods. We're, we're very similar to humans. And you see traces of that also in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where uh, oftentimes the way people talk about God, they do this in human categories. God is angry, God is vengeful, God is, you name it. Um, but this is why also we have uh, theology, we have tradition, we have this, um, this gradual discovery of who God it truly is, and that ultimately we only can describe God in human ter- terms and concepts, but we also always have to uh, realize how limited that is, that God is always transcending our categories and is everything that is good in, in the supreme ultimate way, something that we can never realize as human beings. Anyway, if that was a little theological justification of my approach of, uh, of the book. If you haven't read it yet or you have not received for one reason or another 
the email that, that obviously is possible because uh, depends on uh, your your email program off it's very possible that it ended up in your spam folder but um, but in my next couple of uh, uh, email newsletters the diary entries I will constantly include a link to the download because I assume that anyone who receives my newsletter um, well, is already in the system. So I have a different landing page for those that are not yet subscribed, and I hope that they will actually also continue to enjoy my diary entries. But uh, So hopefully, let me know if there's any problem uh, you experience in downloading the book or finding it online, and I will let you know where you can get it. Hey, I hope you, uh, you enjoyed this little walk. I will uh, talk a little bit more about my upcoming projects on uh, uh, during the extra mile i'm glad i'm not i'm walking in the woods but i'm walking on the biking lane which is uh, concrete so no more mud <laughs> but thanks for coming along have a wonderful second week of lent and i hope you are growing and i will continue to share also my own my own stumbling progress on the road to easter in the next episodes of The Walk. Take care and God bless.